Welcome to the Mustang Owners Podcast. And now your host, Steve Hall. Welcome to another episode of the Mustang Owners Podcast. I'm Steve Hall, the Executive Director of the Mustang Owners Museum, located about a mile north of Charlotte Motor Speedway. Today we have a guest on who I... uh, I met back in 2012, 2013, and uh, it was a rather interesting uh, meeting, I guess I'd say, or introduction to each other, which I'm going to get to in a minute. But before I get into that, I'd like, I'd like to welcome Dave Goff to the podcast. Thank you very much, Steve. We very much appreciate being invited to the podcast, and also want to take this opportunity to thank you and Michelle for all that you've done with the Mustang Owners Museum here in Concord. We couldn't be any happier to have you folks here, and y'all have had a tough road to hoe, and we just thank you so much for what you've done and for the hobby and and to be here in Concord. Well, folks, I have to be honest with you, knowing Dave, uh, that's big praise, so I do appreciate it very much, so thank you. Thank you very much. But I'd like to go back to when we first met. I still chuckle at it every once in a while when I think about Dave Goff. I was at your club meeting. And I want to say, I can't remember if it was 2012 or 2013, but I think it was the very first club meeting that we had to discuss the 50th anniversary coming to Charlotte Motor Speedway. And in my naiveness, I mispronounced the name of the city. And someone sitting there in a very, uh, very much of a school teacher principal tone said what to me, Dave? Well, I said, Steve, we need to go ahead and clarify this. I know you're from California, and y'all may have conquered out there. But I said, we have never been conquered. The official name of our town is Concord. Uh, you're saying it a little politer than how you really said it, if I, from my memory. But then again, memories start to get kind of fuzzy. I start, I walked out of there, and I said, whoa, what a tough crowd that one was i said i even got the name wrong and they jumped on me so um it made it made me realize i got to make sure i dot my i's and, and cross my t's and keep everything in line which which is not a problem but uh, it was from that actually i would like to say that we actually grew a, a good friendship over, over the years because of course we worked on the, that event and other things with the museum so we've had a bit of a history with each other in that regard but uh, the common denominator has always been mustangs Dave, for what it may be worth, and correct me if I'm wrong with any in areas, but Dave has been a long, long, long time member of the Carolina Regional Mustang Club. I don't know if there's any elected position that you have probably held, not held at the club level. It's interesting you would bring up, and yes, we're real proud of the Carolina Regional Mustang Club and what we've been able to do in the Charlotte community for a number of years. But I took over the club when it was meeting prior to to us had been meeting in a church basement and there were only six members at the first club meeting that I went to and we very quickly put together a a wonderful leadership team that folks would would probably know and recognize James Ray was my vice president uh, Larry Kilgore was my treasurer uh, we just had a a wonderful group of folks and we said guys we've got such potential here in the Charlotte area to make a real statement, everybody loves Mustangs. Charlotte has had a rich history of Mustang ownership through the decade. Let's really put something together here that we can be proud of 
number one. And number two, I was driving 30, 45 minutes to get to the club meeting. And lots of times there was no program. And so I told James, if, if you're going to be my vice president, I need you to commit to every month we're going to give people a reason to come to drive to the meeting. And, boy, he locked in on that, and we had some tremendous, tremendous programs, and that continues through the years. So, yes, we're real real proud. But I did join CRMC back in 1992 after joining Mustang Club of America. I've got one of the – I always enjoy looking at folks' membership numbers. My MCA membership number is 25511. So I'm one of the lower memberships, of course, don't hold a stick to Bill Dillard and, and some of the famous celebrities, but uh, have, have enjoyed very much my MCA membership. I'm a very proud member of that group, and Steve Pruitt is, is one of my very favorite folks for the dedication that he has given to the hobby. But I love, I love my local club as well. It is it is uh, it is it is a club with a rich history involved with a lot of projects as you mentioned in the Charlotte area, and I know uh, James Ray in particular uh, he's been a very big advocate supporter of our museum also, so it's a great group of core folks that really are uh, through and through Mustang enthusiasts this is about the no and that's even an understatement to be quite honest with you. But um, I want to get started then a little bit talking about Dave Goff and what got Dave started into Mustangs. What what kind of what was the I don't want to use the word the hook, but what 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 captured your attention with Mustangs? Steve, I, I think it's important with the podcast, and I certainly enjoyed uh, listening to the ones you've done. But I think it's important that we go back and try to capture what it was like to be to have been there. Uh, when the Mustang was first introduced, and to kind of share and capture the feelings that were going on all around us. I grew up in Gastonia, uh, which is just on the, the far side of Charlotte from where you are now. And the the Mustang that first summer was just an amazing thing. None of us had any ideas that 58 years later that we would I would still be Every time we drive somewhere, we, we drove somewhere yesterday, and I'm still counting Mustangs that come by our Ford Explorer. And I started this early on. I think the, the thing I wanted to, to kind of open up with was how exciting it was. Uh, and, and we read the books, and there have been so many documentaries done about the history of the Mustang and, of course, Lee Iacocca. Uh, you talk about being the right man in the right place to create all of this excitement, but to have been there as a 10-year-old kid. Now, now I do need to, to say that I am a Ford guy. My, my grandfather drove Fords and Mercury's. My dad, the first picture of the family car uh, is me standing in front of a 1950 Ford, and dad had a beautiful 57 Fairlane, and then went into a, an all-white 63 that we drove. So I I grew up, don't have a, a bit of use for a Toyota. We won't go there. Don't even like Chevrolets. Don't, don't have anything. I have seven Fords in my shop and in my driveway. So I, I grew up proud to be a, a Ford family. Now, I didn't know I would be one of 10 million, certainly Mustang owners. 
But the other thing I wanted to point out as I was kind of getting my thoughts together yesterday, April 17th, and thank you so much for launching National Mustang Day. That was something that, that we didn't have. Those of us in the hobby knew what it was and knew that was the day by George you, you drove your Mustang. Well, I was driving a Mustang every day anyway, so it, it wasn't a real big deal. But coming from Gastonia, I, I never knew anybody that went to the New York World's Fair. I never knew anybody that rode on the Magic Midway and got to ride in that beautiful black convertible that you have in the, in the museum. So it, it wasn't something that really was, a, was an opportunity or an option for me. But I tell you what I, I do remember from that, that summer of 64. I just remember being surrounded by Mustang. Gastonia, again, we had a, our local Ford dealership like a lot of places. And lots of times on Sunday afternoons after church, mom and dad would drive around. That was just what you did on, on Sunday afternoons before we invented color TV and, and sports on TV all day Sunday and things like that. But anytime we drove around, Dave Goff was in that back seat looking for must and it it was just what you did at the time you had seen the tv commercials of course you had seen the magazine ads in in all the magazines but boy to ride by and see actually see a mustang come by you uh was was just an exciting thing i i remember the mostly the well the roads everything the the cars we're just everywhere, and I'll tell you an interesting story a little bit later. I hope we'll we'll have time for that. I'm I'm even old enough to remember, and I'm I'm 68, to remember that the very first Mustangs, and and a lot of people would would take issue with us on this, of course, that didn't know better. But there were only coupes and convertibles uh, when they first came out. We didn't know anything about how popular the fastback was going to become. We didn't know anything about Shelby at the time and, and what those cars were going to do for the hobby. But I tell you what, and it's it's kind of a shame today, if you have a coupe, you feel like, well, the fastback was the cool one and the convertible was the cool one. I've just got a little old six-cylinder coupe. But if you were there in 64 and you had a six-cylinder coupe Mustang, you were at the, you were on the top of the heap. Um, now, the Corvette folks thought they were pretty cool, and, and maybe they were, and maybe they had more money than, than the average folks would have to be able to afford a car. But that, that little coupe Mustang, when you saw that thing coming and you saw that grill on that car, or, or you saw the taillight, you knew exactly what you were looking at, and that was real important. The other thing that I remember that first summer of, of Mustang, I call it, was the colors of the Mustang. Now, you go to a, to an MCA show today, and I, I really hate to miss the one in Florence. I, I bet it was a, a beautiful show. I love to just look down the rows of the cars and look at those colors and remember what it was like back in 64 because none of us had ever seen cars in those colors before. And, and that sounds a little crazy. But you, you had the poppy red, you had the signal flare red, even even white was a, a very, very popular Mustang color. 
but the gold and the yellows and the greens and the, the oranges, that, that car that Bill and Kathy Harris have is just a, a gorgeous, gorgeous color. But just to see those different colors, and if you could get close enough to one or if a convertible happened to come by you or better yet, pull in beside you at Hardy's when you were there on Sunday afternoon to get your 15-cent hamburger that you you probably remember. I don't know if you guys had parties out in California or not, but a 15-cent hamburger was, was really something special. And to be able to go to the drive-in where the cars were coming in to, to show off was really, really special. But on a, on a convertible, to see inside those cars and to see those color combinations, just to take, for instance, the black Mustang and put a red interior in that, like your World's Fair car, or to take a Caspian blue car, which was only the, I guess, a two-year color that they did in 64 and a half and 65, but to take a, a dark blue metallic car and put an all-white interior in it, I mean, who had ever, who had ever thought of that? And of course, we were still be a year away from getting into the pony interior and a lot of the two-tone colors that we saw. That was really, really something special. It's interesting. Uh, I was, I'm sorry. Uh, I was just going to throw in. It's interesting. I've never really sat back and thought about the fact that the colors and the color combinations that they offered, in a way, it is, of course, it is a, it is a marketing opportunity because they want you, you know, anything you can do to look at the car. But, you know, it's, it's just that you, when you said that, it struck a nerve that it had, you know, it had brilliant colors. It wasn't a basic color scheme like many of the year, cars in the years past. It was really very bright, vibrant, and they went across the color palette. I'm, I'm trying to remember how many colors they actually offered because I know we've got sheets here that show, you know, the various colors, but they offered a tremendous amount of colors those days, which is not new. If I remember correctly, it really wasn't normal. You didn't have as many colors available for, for a Mustang as far as the exterior and then, of course, the interior combinations. And so that's a great point. I, I really hadn't thought much through that, that topic, I guess you should say, or that point, because that's, that's a great way to, to help sell the car. Yeah. Well, and, and of course, Iacocca and his, his team were so brilliant. You know, we, we talk about the, the very first ad, say, the car to be designed by you. And boy, when, when you get into options, and it's it's interesting today, we, we've kind of chuckled with our, our family. When you look at the number of engine options, for instance, in 1969, um, from the six cylinders all the way up to the to the Cobra Jet, the Super Cobra Jet, the Boss 302, the Boss 429, and then you look at today, are there two, are there three engine options available today? Maybe, yeah, I'm not even sure. I think you're right. That's about it. It's just limited. And we laugh about this. There were even two different sizes of Kleenex dispenser that you could order for your Ford Mustang. Now, how cool was that to even be able to order Kleenex dispensers. I think you hit it on the head when you said it early, when you mentioned earlier that you can actually make that Mustang your Mustang, and so you're able to do things with options. And of course, it's a short time afterwards, a little bit of aftermarket came about, so you could even do more to the car to make it more personalized to you and your taste. And so, again, a lot of times cars weren't, you know, cars weren't available that way. You couldn't do that. There wasn't the parts for it. There wasn't the, the engineering done for uh, for you to be able to do those kinds of things. So you're absolutely right. It really struck a nerve with the uh, car buying public. 
Yeah, you talk about a 18-, 19-year-old kid, 20-year-old kid out of college coming back to, to Gastonia. Let me digress a little bit and, and tell you, you you asked about 10 minutes ago about how I first got excited about Mustangs. I, I need to tell you a funny golf family story. I was 10 years old at Boy Scout camp in June of 1964, and my mom had, had followed the instructions about Boy Scout camp orientation, and she sent me a postcard. So mail call Tuesday or Wednesday in the week. There's a postcard for a little 10-year-old Davy Goff from his mom. And this postcard reads kind of follows. I wish I, I still had it today. But it said, Dear son, we sold the house and had to move this week. See you Sunday. Have a good week. Love, Mom and Dad. And I said, holy smoke, what in the world has happened? Well, that had happened, and it ruined the rest of my week, Steve. I sat there in bed every night, of course, homesick as a, as a 10-year-old Boy Scout would be, and got to thinking, what in the world would happen if Mom and Dad didn't show up at church Sunday to pick me up? Where would I live? Well, unbeknownst to me, they had been scurrying around and found a rental house. But to make a, a real long story short, I never got to see my bedroom again. I never got to see all my buddies again to tell them goodbye. And when we left church after being picked up, and she probably had to hose me off in the backyard because I smelled like a Boy Scout. But all I had that summer was my brand-new Firestone bicycle that I had gotten for Christmas that year with the big dual headlights out front and tank holding four or six batteries, and I didn't have a friend in the world. Well, it took me about 10 minutes my first afternoon in this rental house because mom and dad were building a, a house on the other side of town, so we were waiting on that to be completed. But I discovered the largest apartment complex in the city of Gastonia was just about a half a block from where we were renting. And in that apartment complex, were all the swinging singles of Gastonia. All these people that had come back to work in the textile mills, college-educated, doctors, lawyers, whatever, but they were in that swinging singles apartment complex. Now, Bird Forest to this day is about a two-block apartment, and there were little roads winding back and forth. There was a gated swimming pool uh, that I had never even seen a, a swimming pool like that before. But inside Bird Forest Apartments were every kind of brand-new car known to man. And so I spent that summer pedaling my Firestone bicycle every, every chance I could get. Mom always knew where I was, but I was down there looking at Mustang. And that was, that was what got me hooked. I would count them every day. I would compare them to the poor folks that were driving Dodge Darts or Chevy 2s, or heaven forbid, Corvairs. Uh, I thought that was the ugliest car ever been built. Uh, you may have to edit that from the podcast. I still don't have much use for them. Steve, I found some interesting literature here recently, and I would love to do a, a feature on my confidential Ford dealership-only literature that I have accumulated through the years as it relates to Mustangs. But I, I have a real interesting piece that shows in 1964 who Ford 
had designed the Mustang for is competition. This um, pamphlet, four or five pages, uh, was designed for salesmen only, and it talks about, it compares every jot and tittle on every Chevy 2, every Dodge Dart, every Buick. Gosh, they had a, a little small, not not a Skylark, but uh, the the Chevy 2 and the, all the Corvairs. And, it, and they compare all the, the base price on the six-cylinder or four-cylinder engines and compare them all to the Mustang. And they talk about the different advantages. And, of course, with every single one of these comparisons, the Mustang comes out on top because that was how Iacocca had told his committee, you, you build this car this way. And, of course, they talk about the twirling cigar stories and that kind of thing, but he he really, to say he hit a home run uh, 10 million cars later is just really fascinating. But, uh, again, I was so tickled to be a part of that first summer. I had no idea that I was becoming a car guy, but just to be, to be able, again, to pedal the bicycle down there and to count that today there are 27 Mustangs Around the around the whole complex, and I knew where the red one was, and I knew where the blue one was, and even tried to love the green one with the tan interior, but that that took a little bit uh, to do. But that was that was pretty fascinating, and thank goodness my parents did come back and and pick me up, and we had a great summer. But that that was the summer of the Mustang. The other thing that to say that we were surrounded. By Mustangs, and and again, you could do a podcast yourself, I'm sure, on your your growing up years, and and if you think back to how prevalent they were. But kids my age would love to go to the drugstore, and they had model cars there and records there. The the Mustang, I have to always associate the Mustang and my formative years with the the music that was going on at the time. Certainly not just Mustang Sally, but all the all the music and to have a radio in a car, an AM radio, and we had a wonderful radio station, Big Ways, sixty wonderful in Charlotte, a DJ by the name of Jack Gale, and he just played the the best music, and it was car music, and just to hear, you know, the cars going by. They didn't have the Mach One sound system in the trunk that the Mustangs have today. But just to to hear the music, but to, to go in, I, I'm digressing. The, the drugstores and to see the model, the plastic models of the Mustangs, and of course all of us. The only way we had to earn money was to wash cars for our parents and to mow grass. But you could eventually, after after Dad would cut loose a, a little bit of change, you could eventually buy you a Mustang model, and that was lots of fun. And then we had a slot car track open up at our local shopping center. And that was a lot of fun just to go. I never could afford, those were the 17, 18-year-old kids. But just to see those Mustangs going around, those, I know y'all had them as well. They would be eight or 10 lanes of cars. And you rented a lane, I guess, and, and worked on your car all week and then took it over there Saturday and Sunday. So those were a lot of fun too. And then the, the last thing I'll mention, and I, I don't want to run us out of, out of time, but I had a neighbor buddy that had an Aurora race car track 
set up in his basement on the family ping pong table. And if I would behave myself pretty good, Rick would let me drive the Mustang. And I knew it was special. It was his favorite car because he had put slicks on the back a little little tiny HO, about an inch and a half, two inches long. But it had slicks, and he had even put a different rear gear in that car so that it would outrun the Corvettes and the Jaguars. And I, I thought we really had something. That was my favorite Mustang of, of all times was that little beige, tan, HO Mustang convertible because anything that could outrun a, a Corvette that said Ford on the front and Mustang on the back was was all right by me. It's um it's interesting to to listen to your to your story because it makes you makes me realize that the interest and the and the notoriety of the Mustang goes beyond a person who has a driver's license. It actually also went and it resonated to younger kids, preteens, teenagers, because obviously it was that special of a car. You know, back in the fifties, early sixties. Not a lot of kids were running down the street all excited to see a Corvair or a, a Chevy 2, as you mentioned, or even a Nova, for that matter. But when it came around to the Mustang, it was something that made people stop, stare, look, wave, whistle. It was it was just a different kind of a—obviously, you want to say a different type of car because it was, but it resonated deeper and further than other cars did, even to younger kids such as yourself that, you know, you're saying 10 years old— Unfortunately for me, I didn't grow up where there were Mustangs. Uh, I grew up in Europe for a, my, I was a military kid, so there we didn't have a lot of uh, we didn't see any Mustangs to be quite honest with you. So we didn't have the ability to kind of look at those things. We had a lot of French cars, German cars, VWs. I mean, my goodness, I've seen VWs enough to, to for a lifetime by the time I came back to the states. So. But again, that, those cars just don't resonate to, to kids. They're, those cars, I think, were built to be a car to get you from point A to point B. But the Mustang was a lifestyle. It gave you freedom. It gave you lifestyle beyond what most cars did. And it was very, very interesting recently to read a little, art, uh, a little article from Hal Spurlock. He did so many years ago. Fortunately, with the museum, we're becoming more and more of a point where people are giving us information that uh, they've collected from, you know, from from articles and things of this from, you know, 30, 40, 50, 60 years ago. But Hal Spurlock said it very simple. He said it was a car that was affordable for the new family unit. And that way, a family with, with new kids could, could well, I say new kids, but with young kids, could actually afford a Mustang, something that was sporty, but it wasn't going to be, you know, way over the top expensive wise. So it was affordable, and yet it resonated to kids as yourself, and and you're not the only one, of course. It went, it resonated to thousands and thousands and thousands of kids, and I think when they got older, they got to the point where they could get a driver's license. That was probably the car in mind that they wanted to have. They wanted to get a Mustang. Uh, it may a bit, it may be an older one, and that was what I I will say this though. When I went to college. The first car I bought was a Mustang. I mean, I kind of—I guess you have to say—in high school, I kind of caught up to the Mustang interest level like of others. And I said, you know, when I had a chance to get a car, you know, I'm, my dad even surprised me that he pointed it out and found the car for me, and I, I bought it immediately. Oh, yep, that's what I want. I want that fastback. Had to have it. So uh, I hear you. It, it resonated to that level also, besides just the adults. So that's great. But I know we have—we are running through a little short on time. If I may, I'd like to ask you a couple quick questions. Yes, sir. That we like to ask all of our guests on. And then and this is going to kind of resonate back to what you spoke about. So when was the first time you bought a Mustang? 
Well, it's interesting you mentioned your dad finding yours. I got into motorcycles um, early on and had several motorcycles, much to my mom's chagrin. But my mom, being smart, she let me ride to work for three days in a row. I worked in an open pit lithium mine in Bessemer City. So I rode that motorcycle to work three days in a row in the rain. I worked eight hours in the rain. I rode that motorcycle 30 minutes home in the rain. And by that third day, I didn't care if I ever saw a motorcycle again. But sitting in my driveway when I got home was a shiny red 1967 Mustang Fastback. And Mom was smart enough to realize if she said, you can't have a motorcycle, that I would pitch a fit. And, but she waited till till then. And they fronted me the money for that. Now, it was plain Jane. Uh, it was a 289 three-speed car. But by George, I, I had a Mustang Fastback, and there wasn't a nicer car to this day. That is still my favorite body style. Every time I come in the museum, I'm pointing out to Michelle how when you need a Mustang to put on the front of one of Steve's cool new T-shirts, you always go to the 67 Fastback because that's the best body style that they ever developed. I hope that answered your question. No, no, no it, it does, but I will throw a side note. Uh, last year, we did a little contest where our certain members were had a, we did a uh, a survey where we can where we put up cars versus cars, and people could vote on which one they which was their favorite car uh, year or type of model or what have you. And it, it went on for oh for a long time because of course we had a lot of cars in this in this pool to 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 match up against each other. And the car that won was the '67 '68 Fastback. Of all, and that means all, the, and that includes the sixth generation cars. When you compare everything, it was it was basically you know this car versus this car. The one with the most votes would move on. It was we did it exactly like it was the um, uh, March Madness. So we filled out our brackets. We put the cars up against each other randomly, and people could vote which ones they wanted, and the ones that moved that one would move on. And it came down to. It actually did come down to uh, 67 and 67 Fastback and the 2015 Mustang. And I have to be honest with you, it wasn't close. The vote, the final vote, it was 67-68. So uh, it, it resonates still to this day with uh, Mustang enthusiasts as being the the car, the Mustang. So uh, good choice, as it say, good choice. Well, then let me ask you, let me ask you this. And uh, currently, what do you have in your garage? Well. Steve, for folks that I hope have visited the Mustang Owners Museum in Concord, North Carolina, uh, they have seen over the period of time the Playboy Pink. We have a 1967 Playboy Pink six-cylinder coupe that we did for my daughter's 16th birthday 20 years ago. And so that you've been kind enough to feature that in the museum. Uh, we also, my latest acquisition, is a 1978 Mustang II King Cobra, the yellow car that is displayed in the museum. And that'll that'll require a whole nother podcast, as you and I jokingly know. We also, my, my cars, fortunately, are each a little bit unique in their, in their own way. The yellow King Cobra, yellow is the rarest of all of the King Cobra, the 4,971 King Cobras that were built in 1978, only 123 of them were painted bright yellow. And of those, only 50 of them were four-speed cars. So that's that's why the 
The King Cobra's a little bit unique. These statistics are copyrighted by Ford Motor Company and Marty Auto Works. For further information, contact www.martyauto.com. We were fortunate for the 50th anniversary. Three years prior to that, we're given the opportunity to purchase a first week of production Mustang convertible. And we're really proud of that. It's the, the Caspian blue car with white interior. And it was built if job one was generated on March the 9th. This is a March 15th car. And I, I love the cars and I love the, the date. My first Mustang sold, I think, was a, an April 2nd build. But we, we had her by almost a month with our convertible. And that's the one that folks may have seen. At the museum also, we have a trailer that we, my father-in-law was telling you this weekend that he had welded up that matches the rear clip of the convertible, and we've had it painted and upholstered to match and plan to use it for a parade or, or for a wedding vehicle. The other car that in our shop is a, my 1967 GTA Fastback. All you have to say to Mustang-knowledgeable folks is that you have a GTA, a GT Automatic, and that was only done in the Mustang line in 1967. It's a dark moss green car with a, got the complete ownership history on it, but uh, it's pretty, pretty fascinating. But those are the cars that we have in the shop. My daily driver car is a 91LX, a 505-speed car. Yes, I'm one of the Foxbody guys. I don't know why they won't speak to us. I don't know why they won't come to our car shows. I don't know they won't even come to our club meeting anymore. But when you need for Foxtoberfest, they can put 400 cars together at the Speedway. So I have tried to, to buy into their group as well. And, boy, if you've, if you've got a Fox Body Mustang, you've got a, a handful. I, I do love driving that little car. I need. To, uh, I I'm I'm gonna. I hope this doesn't uh, rough your feather a little bit. But uh, they're actually this last year they had 700 fox bodies at Foxtoberfest. Okay, and I'm sorry. It, oh no 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 no. I don't mean it that way. I'm just trying to say is it's growing. The fox body movement has been growing. Is what I'm what I'm trying to interject with that. Not not that your number was a little off at all. No, it's just that there were seeming. You're starting to see more and more. And we're starting to see all different demographics of ages of people who are into Fox bodies. So it's been interesting, the growth level of Fox bodies. So my point is, to your point, is you're right, it is growing. Hopefully it's going to start to maybe resonate back to, uh, you know, to some of the clubs or some of the other events. But as a group, they are a very strong group. And they, they're, I would not be surprised if their goal for this October, it would probably be to say, can we get 1,000 Fox bodies? But you think of that, that's incredible. Yeah. Yeah, they're, they're a, a good group of folks. You know, folks always ask me, and I know that you probably get this on a daily basis, what's your favorite Mustang? Well, I, I tell you what, they have never built a Ford Mustang that I, didn't, I wouldn't be proud to own. I, I love them all from the very first. I'm disappointed, and there was a great article in Mustang Times that our buddy Donald Farr did about the percentages of the different generations that are showing up at the at the shows, the NCA shows, and I'm I'm glad to see the Mustang twos seem to be making a, a presence. 
the fox bodies are not, which is is interesting, but that's that's a whole other study. But I I really hope that, and, and I'm glad folks can go to the Ford dealership and come away with a new Mustang. I asked a buddy of mine at Cars and Coffee, I was looking at his brand new Shelby GT5, and I, I asked him, I said, I, I know I won't be able to afford one of these, and I'm not going to ask you what you paid for that, but if I went down to my Ford dealer here at Gilbush Ford, if I, if I asked him to order me a car like that, what could I expect to pay? And he said, probably north of $92,000. And that just completely blew me away. I'm glad people can afford that. I'm glad that's a part of the Mustang hobby. It, it certainly uh, would compare to some of the new Corvettes and, and things you see on the road. And from a performance standpoint, I, I know there's a reason you need 700 horsepower. If I can get my 225 horsepower car to start when I turn the key, I'm, I'm really happy with it. But anyway, they've never built a Mustang that I wouldn't be proud to, to have in my shop. And that's spoken from a true Mustang enthusiast, and I think a lot of people would agree with you and feel the same way. All six generations are part of the hobby. You may have personally a car you're more favored with over other years, and that's, accept that's, that's to be expected. So I think your point's well taken. So, but with that, I think we need to, we're going to need to wrap it up, but, but Dave, I think we're going to need to do this again. So, uh, when you can, let me know, uh, we can, I'd love to do another podcast with you and get into some of the, some of the history and some of the details of things that you've acquired over the years, because that's what's, that's what's important for the hobby. And that's what the museum likes to be able to do is be able to offer more insight and history to some of the things that have happened and why Mustangs are where they are today, because this is, it's a fascinating story. And all of these pieces really kind of help uh, create a, a better picture. So uh, I want to thank you for joining us. And again, please join us and uh, let me know where you can join us again. Okay, Steve, sure will. Thank you very much. I've enjoyed this. All right. Well, I did too. So we'll talk again soon. We hope you've enjoyed listening to another episode of the Mustang Owners Podcast. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast so you won't miss any episodes. For more information on the museum, please go to mustangownersmuseum.com and you'll find additional information on upcoming events.